Welcome to Food Friends. I'm Carrie. And I'm Sonia. We met in Los Angeles over 15 years ago as private chefs and haven't stopped talking about food since. We created Food Friends to share our stories and recipes with each other and you. We're so glad you're here. Hi, it's Sonia. And this week, we're continuing a conversation we started a few weeks ago about our experiences working as personal chefs. In that first episode, we talked all about how we got started, how we got into the business. And this week, we're taking a closer look at what it actually looked like to be a personal chef. How did we meal plan? How did we think about our menus? And we're sharing our biggest takeaways from our experiences because every single chef, every single personal chef has a unique story. And there's just so much I continue to learn about Carrie in these conversations. And I know I'm sharing things that she's never heard before either. So we're really excited for you to hear it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for all the great reviews. It really helps us get the word out. And thanks again. Tune in to listen to more. Hey, Sonia. Hi, Carrie. It's so nice to see you. It's always so nice to see you. I'm recovering from a little bit of a cold, so if I sound stuffy today, that's why. That's okay. You've got your tea, though. That's nice. I do. I have hot tea. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so I'm excited. I'm actually very excited about this episode. I know we kind of always start that way, but I think my excitement really comes from a curiosity. We recently did an episode where we talked about how we got our starts as private chefs. Yeah. And we're going to continue that conversation in, I think, in a more micro way, because what I'm really curious about is like, what did that look like for you on your, in your like everyday planning, shopping, cooking, cleaning, stocking fridges? I'll sort of back up and say, like, I knew a couple of other chefs, and one of the girls that I knew pretty well, if she went on vacation, I would fill in for her. And it was such an interesting experience to, like, run her clients because she ran them so differently than I ran mine. And so now that I'm not even a private chef anymore, I think about how, like, I run my own kitchen. But then when I talk to you, I, like, learn more. So I guess, like, let's get into the how did we do what we did um, and what have we carried forward? and what have we not been able to carry forward? Well, it's totally different to cook the way you do as a private chef versus for your own family. I think that's what people don't realize. It's a luxury service. It's Uh, a luxury service and it's a luxury job. It was such a a luxurious- Well, I don't know if it was a luxury job. I didn't always feel that way necessarily. Yes, yes, fair enough. (laughs) I mean, I have to say there were definitely times where I felt, and just being keeping it real, I felt like sometimes the hired help. As much as my clients may have loved me, as much as I was doing something really special, there was always to me, especially in certain homes, yes, we love you, but you're also the help. And I feel like that's real. And I I think that is something a lot of private chefs experience. And I think, you know, you and I have some different to your point, you had multiple clients for a while that you were seeing like different days of the week. And then later you had like one client. I most my workflow is mostly I had one family and then I did some meal delivery on the side and occasional catering gigs. I always had a dominant client that I was providing regular meals for. Well, I just want to back up and offer this. I think most people know this saying was there's a reason they call it a job. It is work. It's work and it's physical work. You know, I actually am just coming off of a retreat and just remember those days of standing in the kitchen all day long and it's after going to the farmer's market and you're 
you're carrying all your bags and they're weighing down on your shoulders. And when I bought a cart, put all my groceries yes. in the cart and then someone stole it out of our parking garage. So then I just uh-huh. was like, whatever, keep carrying everything with my, on my shoulders, but it is a job. And, but there's so many really fun parts of it for me, especially we both have this shared experience of not having gone to culinary school. In a lot of ways, my job taught me how to cook, especially in the early years. Like I was just testing out recipes all the time and I got to do that every day in my job. And that's Yeah, and I think this is like a nice way to compare and contrast because I think things can have dualities. I think you can have a really fun job. Like I agree. I think it was really fun. And especially the first family I cooked for, they were so adventurous. I called it my culinary school because I was trying new things yes. every single day. And they were so such a great audience for it. And especially like when you're catering, I feel like that's also where you get to really play because it's yes. like they're hiring yes. you as a chef, a guest chef into their they're home. Hiring your vision. They're hiring your vision. They're hiring of, your vision. Of what this Party can be, yeah. And I also think we can hold the space for like it is a job, it is extremely physical, and also it, there's some class stuff in there. Like I said, it's a luxury service, and that's real. Yeah. And I think it's okay to acknowledge that it doesn't make any participant bad or good, but it's just an element. And I think that's also part where I was really excited to become a restaurant owner because I was really interested in feeding a wide range of people. C- certainly, like not everyone can go to a restaurant. I acknowledge that communities too. But at a restaurant, you often see a larger spectrum of people because that's what's possible. So yeah, I think it's okay to have these things. I'm so glad you brought up your restaurant experience, the being a restaurant owner experience, because I think that there's also a real nuance in this space. I have a friend, guy who has worked as a private chef almost his whole life. He's worked for many, many big celebrities. He's catered for a long time. And he has, I think to me, one of the best takes on being a private chef, which is just like, you're in their house to make what food they want. If you want a restaurant, that is your vision. People walk into your door as a restaurant owner looking for your vision. But when you walk into someone else's house, you're at the end of the day, if they want a grilled cheese and a bowl of tomato soup and you have a a higher vision than that, then that's not a good match for you. you Totally. That's such a great way of framing it. It's true. It's true. And again, doesn't mean one's better or worse or good or bad. It's just true. It's a different kind of service. So I'm glad we sort of like, I wasn't expecting to talk about that, but so I think I have a baseline. There's it's nice to have a baseline, yeah. a baseline of that. I think there's also so much nuance in each private chef's experience. This woman that I used to fill in for sometimes, she called her system like session cooking. So she would often uh-huh. go in at 11 or 12 in the middle of the day when no one was home and she would cook all this food. She'd have every burner going, the ovens would be going, everything would be going. She had all these boxes, put all these meals into boxes, and then she'd file them into the fridge. And yeah. that was so different than the way that I worked, which was much, or the way much I worked. Per- yeah, or the, I'm sure the way you work. And also to your point, like a really good private chef friend of mine who had one sort of major, very successful, famous client, and she would make six meals a day, six days a week, and was in traveling the world Wait, with this six person. six meals a day? Breakfast, snack, lunch, snack, dinner. Sorry, five meals was a day. Was it just for like one person, one personality? Yes. or It was oh, for wow, one person and any of their guests. So usually the guests would only be at dinner. But during the day, if that person was on set, if that person was in their office, if that person was hosting someone over for a meal. And she was very using very fancy high-level chef techniques. Like she's a very accomplished chef. So, you know, things that are sous vide and foams and like, (laughs) you know, all these kind of less like home cooking and more almost a restaurant 
in a home. And, you know, yeah. I learned a lot from that because that's also different. And she wasn't such a different way. Menus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. she loved it. Wow. She loved it. She did it for many, many years. So, Let me ask you this. Did this yeah. person, did this person that you know, did they travel with their client? Yes, they traveled. So sometimes she was cooking in the kitchen of the Ritz Carlton Hotel. She would have to, <laughs> she would have to, they would green advance. The, the hotel would say, yes, you can take part of the kitchen. Yeah. But you and I both know what that means. Just because the higher up management agrees to let you use a kitchen right, right. doesn't always mean they You're on someone else's turf. You're oh, on someone else's turf. so funny. But she was so able to gracefully and just admirably step into those kitchens. And she's like a tiny person. And you know, often yeah. kitchens are filled with like big humans. And I remember her just making friends with hotel chefs all over the world yeah. and, oh, and sharing so these lovely. spaces. So yeah, she definitely traveled and definitely committed her life to this work yeah. for a number of for, years. For and, a number of years. Yeah. I don't feel like you ever did that, but I don't know the no. answer to that for sure. You never no, traveled I with anyone. Yeah. I never traveled I didn't as either. I, I was invited to a few times. I once had someone ask me if I wanted to interview for a job in Hawaii for the summer, which sounded oh, wow. so beautiful and fun. Except at the time I was already, I already lived with James and we had a life and I had a lot of friends and I just didn't feel comfortable like putting all my eggs into that basket yeah. because it also, it was a temporary thing. Once my private chef business became a full-time, you know, at the very beginning I was waitressing and hostessing and private chefing. But once I became a full-time private chef, I really loved that. And I liked the consistency of that. So giving yeah. that, all that consistency up to go work for one family that part of me was like, I wish you'd asked me this like six years ago or something, you know, or when I was younger, <laughs> well, when I was timing, more mobile. Right. That's yeah. the timing is everything. Yes. And it's not a field for everyone. It takes no. a really certain kind of person, even on like a certain level, regardless of the specifics of your role. Like we talked about all different kinds of personal chefs and you and I were different kinds of personal chefs. Mm -hmm. You have to have a quality of being in someone's home and making them feel at ease with your presence. Yes. Like that's part yes. of the job to create a sense of calm in their home space. Yeah, that's. I'm so glad you brought that up because I I very much experienced that in this retreat that I just did, which was in a house with a very small number of people, and it just happened so naturally. I just kind of went back into that space of like I disappear into the kitchen, and I was standing in the kitchen all day long cooking, but people forgot that I was there. And one of the most beautiful things that I found was being witness yes. to their conversations, being witness to their relationships, being witness to their parenting. This past weekend, I just witnessed, you know, one person would walk over to another and start a conversation and that would eventually turn into some kind of sharing of their experiences and another person's experiences. It's so lovely. It's a very intimate job. It's a yes. very, because it's, it it's not just about being, feeding someone is intimate and witnessing mm -hmm. someone's personal life is intimate and inevitably happens when you're in their home, whether you're a nanny or someone who cleans homes or a chef. Yes. I want to ask you about your friend who was cooking for this personality, right? Like, and sort of bring up this idea of intimacy, right? Yes. That if you're cooking six meals a day for one person, their world, their community, you have such an intimacy of who they are, what they like, what their needs are. And I think that is kind of an interesting sense 
segue into where we would start or where I would start as a chef when I was going to my clients, which is the planning, right? And so you hold all these ideas in your head of, well, the mom likes this and the dad likes this and the kids like this. And these are their family's goals about food. And I guess I want to tee that up to you and also sort of call back to our last episode. One of the things that you mentioned was when you planned menus, you would go to the library and check out cookbooks. And then on Sundays, you would spread them out on the kitchen table. How did you do your planning? Yeah. I mean, it's such a good question because yes, you're factoring into everyone's likes. Like it's almost like you have to get an intake form and you start to learn as you go to, they'll tell you like, yes, I don't like this. I do like that. Da, da, da. And also in any home, even between just two people, you're balancing people's preferences. So that's always yes. in the back of your mind. And with my main first family that I cooked for, they didn't eat red meat. They wanted to minimize any kind of butter or certain kinds of carbohydrates. So I had to be mindful of that. I always started sort of the week with a loose grid. Okay, what are the proteins I want to cook this week? What are the vegetables that are in season? What are the flavor profiles I'm interested in cooking? Oh, so you started with that. You that's where that's a great place to start because it kind of helps you start funneling ideas. Yeah, and then I would sort of look through cookbooks for inspiration, and I actually pulled out my food um, notebook. Like I have like an old journal. It's funny. I have one too. Yes, (laughs) and the spines all like torn off, and um, the pages are like greasy finger. <laughs> yeah. And I and this was one of my very first weeks working for them. And I'm looking at the menu and I thought I might share it with you. I almost think like sharing this will give you a better sense of where I would be landing. So the first night was salmon with spaghetti squash and homemade pesto salad. And then I had a side of pasta with pesto for their son. They were going to eat spaghetti squash, but the son would eat pasta. Right. So you could make pesto for everyone, but yes. one person got pasta and two people got the spaghetti, spaghetti squash, squash, which is a vegetable. Yes. Yeah. Right. Then I had braised chicken with mushrooms and almonds with a side of green beans, quinoas, and salad. Okay, that was night two. I knew everyone could eat all those things. Night three, it was a fish night. I you, They wanted fish at least once night a week or maybe two. So I factored that in okay. too. Roasted okay. cod with a tomato olive a tapenade. Oh, I think I did couscous with pine nuts and herbs. And I did the spinach and chickpeas dish. And then the last night was a green Thai curry, a side of sauteed eggplant, brown rice, and also chicken satay, a gr- salad with carrot and ginger dressing. This, I think, was an entertaining night. So I probably made more dishes on nights that they had guests over because they had guests over a lot. So you can kind of see where I was. Okay, one night was very sort of just healthy. Next right. night was like a simple braised chicken dish. But then I start getting into like a very Italian meal and then a Thai meal. And that was the right. very one of the very first weeks. I think as the year progressed, things became much more adventurous. At one point, they went to Bali on vacation and they came back and gave me cookbooks. They wanted to eat more Indonesian foods. So there was a month there where I was cooking from these cookbooks, food I have never tried How in my awesome. life. That's also one of the really great things that sounds like it happened to you that certainly happened to me was that I learned so much on the job. Really. Exactly. And it, I actually always find it inspiring when people give me their, here are the things that I like, here are the things that I don't like, here are the things that I eat, here are the things that I don't. I like to be put in a little bit of a box because yes. when I'm cooking for my own family, I'm like, well, we, we eat, we'll eat anything. And I feel uninspired cooking for myself, which is ironic. I'll share maybe one of the most extreme versions, which was that I had this client and they, the dad ate everything. The kids loved meat. The mom was a vegan 
And um, <laughs> it was like <laughs> trying to find it. They were so fun to cook. My goal was they had little kids because they committed to me. This was the one night that everyone committed to eating at home. And so it was, how do you put all those people at the table and not make them short order cook meals, put them all at the table where they can all share bowls mostly. You know, the bowl of chicken or the bowl of beef would not go to the mom who was vegan, but how could she eat the same rice and vegetables that everyone else was eating and then kind of have like a cool, fun sauce or something like that? And so sauces are really key. Sauces were key. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Like your pesto idea. Yes. I mean, obviously Um, that's the most basic version, but there's so many sauces out there. There's so many versions. And there were times like that same family, there was a month when the parents went vegan, but the son didn't go vegan. So I had to, in fact, needed a certain amount of meat in his diet and been in exactly your shoes. And you're, and you're really working to like, see where are the overlaps for all these people. It kind of speaks to this being a fly on the wall or witnessing intimacy in people's homes is putting people all at a table is a way of connecting. And there were only a couple of people that I repeated during the week. And that wasn't always my first client. I worked for her three days a week. And then I worked for another client two days a week. But my schedule at the end kind of morphed into one different family every single night. And so if someone was only seeing me once a week, it was like a party having me come to their house. And it was right, it was so everyone- special. Yeah. It was special and they treated it as such. And so I think you mentioned this too with that family that you worked for. It's like they were very, very busy people and they committed to you because that allowed them to bring people into their home and eat dinner with them, but they got exactly. to do it on their own terms. Exactly. And you know, I'm curious as you're bringing this up, talking about mechanics, I was remembering a client that one, while I was cooking for this family, I also had this client where I was delivering meals, delivering lunches. So twice a week, I would come bring lunches, I think it was for like two or three days at a time, if that makes sense. And I really had to start to think about what are the dishes that keep well and reheat well and hold well, yes. because it is so different to cook any of the meals I listed to you on the spot that they're going to eat the second it's fresh and warm and you're going to plate it and they're going to sit down versus something that you're sticking in a fridge or putting into Tupperware. And I'm curious, what were some of maybe your go-to dishes around? It sounded like you had a few people that you would come in and cook some food and put it in their fridge. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. At the end, especially when I was just coming for one day a week, you know, I'd arrive at like noon or one and I would cook a few things or prep a few things and put them into their fridge. And then I would cook them a live dinner as well. But I'm thinking in particular, there was a family, they had two teenage boys and they were, they played at like every sport that existed. And so they were just really active people. And, and so when I would cook things for them to leave, I would, I would cook chili yeah. And like chili and like bolognese and things that can be reheated. The boys could boil pasta. They were teenagers, so they were capable of that. I'm trying to think of what else. What were I some did, of Yeah, I was trying to think about especially this lunch. Cause like I feel like for the family, obviously the great reheatable dishes are chili, soups, stews, braises, curries, all of that works really well in advance. The things that don't work well are like a la minute steaks. A lot of fish just dishes don't reheat well, but shrimp does. So I was always thinking about if it was going to be salmon in advance, then maybe I'd make a salmon salad. Either it was meant to be served cold or like a niçoise salad or something like that. But for this person's lunch that I cook that sometimes wanted a combination of like hot or cold food, because obviously I could make really elaborate salads and then keep the dressing 
dressing on the side. And that was one thing I would do. But I also made things like turkey burgers for her. And that was one of her favorite things Yeah, that I made. And I found like that it was important to make a patty that was not dry. You really had to make sure you added egg and breadcrumb and onion, like things to the patty. Like shredded zucchini, which would add like moisture. Yeah. I didn't do that, but that's very smart. Shredded zucchini would be really smart. <laughs> I think I I think I added like onions, herbs, garlic, egg, like almost like a meatball, but then would make like a turkey burger out of it. And that was sort of based on like Russian dish that my mom would make. Or, yeah. And then I would keep the buns separate and all the toppings separate yes. so she could heat the burger up and then create a warm sandwich and toast the right. bun if she wanted to. That was one that comes to mind. I think I had some that didn't work out as well, for sure. Like she definitely gave me feedback and let me know what she liked and what didn't she didn't like. One of the things that I used to do was I would roast chicken breasts on the bone with the skin on it. So like white chicken meat. And then I would pull that chicken meat and leave it in a container. I think every family benefited from that. One of the kids loved a chicken and avocado sandwich. So they would just like smash avocado on bread, put chicken in, and then they would put that in her lunch. And then she was in elementary school, but she had two little sisters who were at home and the mom or the nanny would take that chicken and put it into a quesadilla or a taco for the other kids that were at home for lunch. I was just about to say tacos were a great make ahead meal. I did exactly the same thing. I would always roast chicken with the skin on and then I would have it there for salads or for dishes or part of a stir fry, whatever. But with tacos, whether it's chicken or tofu or ground beef or whatever the or just beans or just a vegetarian taco mix of you know sautéed vegetables like zucchini i just feel like you can yeah. make each element and then you have it's kind of fun for them so you have shredded lettuce again i always see the fun yes. like having bowls that you can customize especially when you have someone cooking for you there's almost like this nice added bo- bonus of your personalized touch i'm going to build this taco the way i want of course we've talked about it before but the thing you know i always do with my leftover shredded chicken is make chicken tinga. Oh, right. Yeah. I didn't even know about chicken tinga back in the day. It's funny. As I was sharing with you about the roasting, you know, these chicken breasts with a bone on in the skin, I honestly think that's kind of where I started to learn about bone broth because I was constantly buying these chicken breasts and then I had all these bones. And I remember being like, wait, can you do something with these? Because at first I was tossing them. I think I one of the things I shared in our bone episode was, which actually my mom gave me some feedback. She goes, well, I never made bone broth because my mom would always use bone broth from a carton. Like chicken stock and she's like, from well, a carton. Yeah, chicken yeah. stock. Yeah, like she would buy it from a carton. And I think she she was a little bit offended that I shared that. And I said, but mom, yeah. you didn't make bone broth. Grandma didn't make bone broth. And she goes, yeah, I actually remember my, my grandmother making bone broth, but it was like lost in the generations. And I certainly didn't know how to make it until I was doing these sort of basic thing, roasting chicken breast. This sparked another question I had that we kind of have touched on before, but didn't get deep into, which is what you're shopping. Like, where are you getting your chicken breasts? Where, because my clients had actually very specific restrictions on where I could shop. I was only allowed to shop at farmer's markets, Santa Monica Seafood, and Whole Foods. At the time, like, Erewhon wasn't a big thing. I was not allowed to get ingredients. I was allowed to go to a Ralph's, which is basically like a Safeway or Kroger or whatever it is in your part of the country. But I was allowed to go to Ralph's for like home goods or pantry staples, but all the produce, meat, and dairy had to come from those other places, which is sort of interesting. I already had a love of farmer's markets, but I just became so much more familiar with each of those 
places. And Vicente Foods was okay too. Vicente Foods is this place in Brentwood. Because you know um, that's where I'm going to say I was shopped at all the right. time. Yeah. So totally. it's funny. I love that you brought your notebook to our conversation because I equally brought one of mine. I have, I have a box in the basement and I pulled it out this morning. And so I had this giant notebook, like eight and a half by 11. And every day I would use both pages. And on the left side, on the right side, I would write down menu ideas that I had had. And then on the left side, I would write, once I decided I would write the menu and then I would draw a line. And then on the bottom, I would write the grocery list. But because I mostly shopped at the same grocery store, most of my clients lived in a certain neighborhood of Los Angeles, I knew that grocery store backwards and forwards. On the, I would know that when I walked into the store, on the far left side of the store was where all the cheeses were and the pickles and the olive oils. And so I would basically organize my list by aisle because that yeah. would also help me cut down on my time. I yeah. would just go in. I knew what I needed. And I wasn't wandering around because I think I probably did that at the beginning and then I realized it was such a time suck. Yeah. Whether I was a personal chef or a food stylist, whatever, when I had to shop for work, I did exactly what you did. And I kind of did by category. You know, it's like, here are the dairy items, here are the meat counter items. And then I also strategized the timing of it. So I always started with pantry staples first, then fish or yeah. meat last. And so if I knew I had to go to the seafood place, I would build sort of my route to go there last because you just don't want, yeah. especially in California where it's hot so much of the time or it's sunny so much of the time. You don't want fish sitting in your car while you're shopping. So it saves so much time. It's made me a better shopper now because now I have the same approach. If I'm going to the store, I start and end yes. in different places and I think about things in categories. Yeah. And I think what we're also kind of getting to is I am not a private chef anymore. I'm not a personal right. chef. I don't work this way and neither do you. And right. But I think the long lens of that is also this was our job. And so we grocery shopped like it was our job. We grocery shopped yes. with like not only a list, but the most curated list that you can imagine. And after I stopped private chefing and certainly now that I cook for my family, there are times when I just do it off the cuff because I've done it so many times. And then I get so angry because I've forgotten <laughs> something because I didn't write it down. And then right? it wastes my time. And so yeah. one of the reasons we're offering this episode is because people are curious about what we did, but also I feel like people can really learn from what we've learned. And I would just say the idea of really sitting down and planning out what are you going to make and writing down all the things that you need for that, inevitably, saves you so much time and energy later on and it saves we so much time. that yeah yeah I definitely you shop know? that way now especially if like I'm having guests over or if I'm meal planning for the week but I also have to, like every person times where I just go to the farmer's market to see what's good to see yes. what magic unfolds but that's like, a different energy that's, that's a that's different a kind of trip yes it's a different kind of trip I think not all grocery store trips are created equal I remember now I'm having visions of myself I had a clipboard I would sometimes bring with my if I was doing a big shop and especially when I was food styling because then you're like buying cute huge carts yes. of food. Did you ever have people ask you about it? Ask you about yeah. your list or your cart? Yeah, people would stop me and this grocery store that I went to, you know, I knew people who worked there so well. And it's funny, I just was mentioning this the chef that I would fill in for sometimes this woman that was we were the same age and we both did the same job we were introduced by the meat counter guys like they knew me <laughs> they knew her and they they would kind of play us off of each other and be like who yeah. likes Carrie who likes Sherry and yeah. and then one day 
day, we both ended up at the meat counter at the same time. And we were like, wait, I'm not competing with you. I like you. And then we became friends too. So yeah, yeah I think people sort so of see sweet. you in those places. <laughs> I definitely developed relationships with produce department people and cashiers. I, I kind of loved when people asked me like, what are you cooking? Like, why do you need so much butter? Yes. Like, what are, yes. what is going on in your life? Well, it's interesting. When I think about the shopping, one of the things that I would try to do was shop for things that were surprising and interesting to my clients. One of the things that I would that I would help my clients with was building their children's palates, like mm. how to expand what they are eating. And so whether I was going to the grocery store and happened to see a spaghetti squash or going to the farmer's market and picking out items that kids would be interested in or just talking to them about this is an orange and then this is a pink orange, but they taste the same, but they look different. And so that's part of how I shopped as well. So would you like unpack groceries or farmer's market items in front of them and talk about them or to be more in the dishes you prepared? It was a little bit of both. And it also was not this forced thing. You know, sure. there was, there were many, many days when I arrived to an empty home. And then there were some days when kids would be home. It was always just like part of a natural conversation. And so if they were there and I was pulling things out, they would sometimes see. And then inevitably there would be some kind of an introduction at the dinner table of, guess what? I found this really cool mushroom at the farmer's market today. And this is what it's called. And this is why it's this color. And but yeah, it always is in the storytelling. I think that people are always fascinated when you're unpacking groceries. So I I often return to an empty home, but everyone always kind of wants to see what's in your market bag and like what yeah. emerges. Is, especially if it's from the farmer's market. I, I definitely like to introduce ingredients and produce and find, I knew that they loved like seasonal produce. So I'd always try to find something that was a little exciting. Like if there were dark raspberries, like those, what are they called? Black raspberries in season? Oh or, yeah. Or the pink it, raspberries. Whatever thing was in season, I love to bring that into the house and incorporate it into dessert. It was important to me to walk into the kitchen, turn on an oven if I was going to be using the oven and start sort of getting organized right away. Pulling the stuff that was needed for that meal and having that organized on the counter and then putting everything else away. And like I couldn't have the bag sitting there for long. Yeah. As you're describing that, that reminds me of too, like I would walk in, I would put all the bags down, I would turn on the ovens and get them going. And then the next thing that I always did was I opened up the fridge and I cleaned it out in every yeah. house. I was always yes. cleaning out and rearranging the fridge because I totally. needed to make stuff, room for my stuff. I needed to clean out the things that didn't belong in there anymore. I remember my mother-in-law was always, every time she would come to visit me or or if I would come to visit her, she would always say, don't look at my fridge. It's not clean. But she would always <laughs> look into my fridge and say, I've never seen a cleaner fridge in my life. And I don't know if that's part of my, like some of my OCD tendencies where oh, I your really- Your fridge isn't crazy clean. Your fridge is always <laughs> the most organized fridge I've ever seen. Like I'm a pretty organized person and mine looks like complete chaos compared to your fridge. Can I tell you a secret? right now <laughs> in my fridge the other day I noticed that like a container of gochujang like the red pepper paste yes. had spilled out on the top shelf in the way no. back of the top shelf it had <gasps> opened somehow and there's a gloop and Carrie can I be honest that I have not yet cleaned it up because like it was so <laughs> 
it was so upsetting to me and I was just like I can't you just like close the bridge you're like oh no it's so gross I'm gonna close it oh gosh that's so funny and it's yeah, been like it's- two days since I noticed to share I want to share one idea which I did share this recently with a couple of people and they were like god I've never thought about it that way but part of the way I learned about food was like whatever I heard it just retained so whether I watched a cooking show or I remember at some point maybe it was like a nutritionist being interviewed or something the way you should organize your fridge is put the things that are healthy or put the things that need to be used right away at your eye level and so that was one of the things that I ended up training I think almost all of my clients in you know the things at the top of the fridge need to be considered first whether I've left you with some kind of shrimp or chicken that needs to be eaten or the box of berries need to be eaten in the next three days those are at the front they're not in the produce drawer it's all right there I would inevitably like wipe out everyone's shelves every time I like to wipe out a fridge shelf it just makes things more enticing right well I would love for you to come unload the groceries (laughs) and organize my fridge please I mean you were talking about when you wanted me to set the table and arrange flowers I want you to come deal with my pantry and my fridge fair enough it'll be a trade perfect well Carrie there's so much more to talk about like I feel like we're still just scratching the surface I think we definitely need a part three yeah I think we need a part three I was just really curious about some of your experiences and thinking about being personal chefs as a job and then what we learned as personal chefs and are not personal chefs anymore versus when you ran your restaurant, which is a totally different idea. I, the luxuriousness of being in someone's kitchen for an afternoon cooking food for them was something I enjoyed so much. And I just don't have the time to do that for my own family. And I think, you know, yeah. oftentimes people will say to me like, well, gosh, you must make those beautiful meals every night. And I'm like, no, I I don't. I okay, it's, I beg to differ. No. I don't think you I know you don't cook every single night, but I would say that even when you're making a quesadilla, it's the best quesadilla ever. Even when it's a simple meal, your hands have its own their own talent and I think Well, that's, that's a nice thing to, for you to say, but But it's the truth and I I think that obviously I also like sometimes just have to make a spaghetti and red sauce kind of meal, like something really yeah. simple. But that doesn't mean that we don't add some little special touch and I think that's the thing anyone can do, right? Whether it's just like a chop of fresh herbs or just a little grating of extra good Parmesan. Just that little thing that takes something from ordinary to just feeling special, but doesn't take more work. I think a lot of that came from personal chefing for me. Whether it was in the restaurant or catering or personal chefing, I learned stuff in every kitchen I've ever been in. I've also learned a lot about like appliances I like and don't like and tools I like and don't like and ingredients and whatever. But I just, like you said, how to shop, how to menu plan, how to set a table in ways I just wouldn't had I not been a personal chef. You elevate every little thing that you do. And I would just offer that even when I'm making Annie's mac and cheese, you know, and I eat it out of the pan, I always add like a little bit of tapatio to it. Well, yeah. And for me, it's sriracha. (laughs) That's right. That's right. I mean, even though we can, it's like you still turn to those things. You know, you still turn to those foods. And especially when I'm alone, I don't even bother putting it in a bowl. I just eat it out of the pan. (laughs) Why would you? Why would you? I mean, why would you bother getting a bowl? When the- exactly. Well, this has been a really illuminating and uh, we'll we'll continue the series. I think it's, yeah. I think we'll have to go down the, all the things that didn't work path. There's so much to learn in the things that did not work out. They haunt um, me still. All right. Still. Well, haunts me. <laughs> yes. Have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for being our food friend. If you enjoyed our podcast, please subscribe, leave us a review, and share this episode with friends. 
We love hearing from you. So follow us on Instagram or drop us a line at foodfriendspodcast.com. Yes, we'd love to hear from you and your food friends. Happy cooking and eating. Bye.